You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Scripture reading, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and, in, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you as your people in need of a word from you. And we ask that as we turn our attention to this word, this passage, the words of Christ offered to us here, that you would instruct us by your spirit, that you would help us to learn what you would speak to us, and that you would do a work of power by your spirit in our lives to transform us into the image of Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in sixth grade, I had a number of friends around me pressuring me to date a girl, a particular girl. Okay. I was interested in sports um, at the time, I still am. Um, th these two things haven't ended up being a major conflict for all of my life, but at that time, it seemed like a conflict that was set up in front of me. You know, do I date this girl? Uh, and to be completely honest, I didn't want to. And it's not that I didn't like her, it's that I had this conviction that as an 11-year-old, I shouldn't be dating girls. Okay, um, strange conviction, I know. Um, but day after day, I remember my friends approaching me and being like, oh, come on, you gotta date, uh, Jen was her name, you gotta date Jen. Um, Jen really likes you. And I'd say, uh, I'd make up some, some excuse. So I'd play basketball. Um, and, but day after day, uh, eventually, they wore me down, and I said, fine, I'll date Jen. So I started dating Jen. Um, what, what that meant was um, lunchtime would come, and we would go on walks together. <laughs> and one time, I remember we were walking up away from the school towards where my parents' house, my, my house was. And I remember feeling um, afraid. I thought, what if my mom sees me <laughs> uh, holding hands with this girl? What if my mom sees me? This would not, this would not be good. Um, and that sense of, of you know, fear that my parents might see what's happening here, it's not that I thought my parents were going to beat me or disown me or even like shout at me for that matter, uh, but that I might disappoint my parents. Uh, that I might do something that would cause friction in our relationship and that they would be disappointed by my decisions. 
And that dynamic remained alive for me, you know, throughout my childhood, probably in, in its own way, in, into my adulthood, you know, wanting to honor and please my parents. And, and the passage this morning, um, it opens up to a world where this is not just an indication of our relationship to our earthly parents, but what we find here is a claim that humans, all of us, who have been made by God and for God, have a particular relationship with God the Father, who's made us and loved us. And that we have a particular responsibility towards this Father, to live in praise to him, uh, for his good purposes, for his glory, for his, uh, for his reward, as it puts it in this, in this passage. Right? Not just for the things that we can get from other people, but for God's reward, that we live all of life, uh, to use a Latin phrase, quorum Deo, if you've heard that before, before the face of God, before the face of the God who knows us and loves us, that all of our lives are lived before him, that we were made for him. We were created to live for the praise and reward of the God who made us. But something's gone wrong. Instead of living to please God, doing good in order to please him, praise him, be rewarded by him, Instead, we find ourselves as the kinds of people who are determined to do good so that we can be praised. Right? Doing good so that the attention might come to us, so that we might get some kind of value, acceptance uh, from the people around us in the way that we live. We were made by God to do good works which please him, which please him. And instead, we do good works to get praise for ourselves. We turn our good works into an instrument of getting praise from others. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This passage raises the question for us of motives. Why do we do the good things that we do? Why do we do the good that we do? What are our underlying motives? for the good works that we do. All the hard work that you put into a week. Right? All the good deeds, all the, all the kind things that you've done this week, maybe for a neighbor, for your children, for a friend. Right? The things that can make you feel good about yourself, make you feel like, oh, you're, you know, I'm living a pretty good life and I'm a good person. The question that we're pressed to ask this morning is what's it all really for? Right? All of our good works. And are we as selfless as we think we are. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus goes on from this text to give three examples of what this looks like. Right? This practicing righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. And he goes on, we'll be focusing on the first, but when you give to the needy, right? when you give gifts, generous gifts, beware of doing that in such a way that you're simply doing it to be seen by others to be praised by others, to be thought well of by others. And when you pray, we'll find next week. Right? Uh, beware of praying in such a way. I mean, you know, today this uh, doesn't apply as straightforwardly, right? But in a day where they would see the religious leaders get up and pray, and that would give them, you know, some kind of social credibility that these are praying people, and you could pray out in the street corners in order to be seen by others and to be seen as a religious and upright citizen, um, uh, there was a danger here. Right, when you pray. And then lastly, we'll find in a few weeks' time, when you fast. In each case, Jesus says the same thing to us. That there's a way of doing these good things which receives no reward from God. Because you've done them in order to receive a reward from people now. 
You've given up a reward from your heavenly Father in order to be praised and receive that reward here and now. And today, again, we focus on the first of these. Verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Notice first that Jesus assumes, he simply assumes that his people are a giving people, the kinds of people who give to the needy. Now, of course, we know that in Israel, there is this basic welfare system that was wrapped into their social fabric, right? I mean, Israel, by definition, was a giving people. Uh, They had to be this way. This was like institutionalized in their DNA. They were a giving people. You can think about um, every harvest, Uh, people who owned land, they would have to leave parts of their field, particularly the edges, in order to be gleaned by those who are poor, those who don't have land, those who are strangers, sojourners among them. They were were to leave part of their land so that the poor could then come in and do what's called gleaning. The, The landowners would go and take the bulk of the harvest, but they were to leave parts of it so that people who are poor would be able to work for their own living. Right, uh, make something of whatever's left over. Right, go and go and collect. Right, this was a, a responsibility in the nation of Israel. Uh, or the Sabbath years, we can think about the Sabbath years. Every seven years, or, and then kind of to, to um, uh, a more intense degree in the year of Jubilee, every fifty years. Right, in these years, we find times where slaves were to be let go, released, right, given their freedom. In these years, debts were to be forgiven. Land that had been purchased had to be returned to the person who sold the land in the first place. And the outcome, if followed, was that this would put an end to the very possibility of generational poverty. It's quite something. I mean, whatever you make of uh, Israel's uh, welfare system, it's a challenge to our own, that's for sure. It puts an end to, you know, you think about a family uh, who becomes impoverished, whether that's by laziness or by some natural disaster or some other misfortune, they become impoverished. And what do they do? Well, they may sell themselves into something of a, an indentured slave, uh, the position of an indentured slave, right? I'm going to be your slave, and that's the way in which I'm going to pay back and also receive something of, of an income. Uh, so they could, or they might sell their land, right? Uh, sell their land to somebody else. But all of this, knowing that in the seventh year, or sometimes in the 50th year, um, within a, only a generation, that they would be freed, right? Um, you sell yourself into slavery knowing that there's a day when this slavery is going to end, right? Your children are not going to be slaves forever. This is not institutionalized slavery, you know, that goes on for generations and generations. You sell your land, but knowing that your land will be returned to your family, your family's inheritance, it belongs to you, and it can only be something like a lease for a period. It will return to you, right? But this kind of generosity, this kind of welfare system is built into the, the system of, of Israel, So those who are able to gain wealth off the poor were in the end to return their freedom and land to them to see them restored. And then, of course, God's people have always been marked as a tithing people, a people who have given as just a baseline of generosity a tenth of all that they come in. Think of uh, the first fruits that are offered up to the Lord in in Thanksgiving. You think of uh, the first of the cattle that's born is offered up to the Lord as a sacrifice. Um, There's this institutionalized way, uh, this standard way that they're constantly looking after the needs of the temple, right? Giving to the temple, being dispersed then to the poor and to the needy among them. But that this is just a basic feature of Israel's social life. But now Jesus, in our passage, 
recognizing that his people are a tithing people, a, a giving people, a generous people, called to care for the poor, recognizes that with this very call to give to the poor, to be a generous people, that with this call comes a particular temptation. To give not for God's sake, but in order to be seen by others, with your added gifts, with your offerings, to give in order to be seen by others. Thus, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. It seems that some were making great announcements of their generosity at the temple. Giving so that others might say, wow, look at him, or look at her, look, look at the generous donations, look how generous they are. And of such people, Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what are we supposed to do about this? You know, maybe you're sitting here and saying, okay, sure, yes, I'd like to be less selfish. Um, I'd like to be the kind of person who gives in a way not to be seen by others, but can actually give privately, in secret, as Jesus says, um, with great confidence. Right? How, how, how do we become this kind of people? What's the, what's the solution to kind of this deep-seated, maybe I'm the only one here, but deep-seated um, desire to use our giving, use our uh, good acts, our good works, in order to be seen by others and to receive the praise for ourselves? What's the solution? Well, here's what Jesus says. It's interesting. You'd maybe expect him to say something like, um, you just need to change your heart motivation. You know, get a new heart. Like, work on having pure motives. But instead, he tells us something that's actually quite practical as a response to this, this, um, uh, this fault that we find ourselves in. And it's this. That for all who tend toward doing good out of self-interest, he says, you're giving is to be done in secret. Okay. There's a particular practice that he calls us to. How do people like us, you know, people who love to be esteemed, respected, praised by others, how do we become the kinds of people who actually choose to live not for the earthly and fleeting praise of other people, but for the praise that comes from God, as John's Gospel puts it. Here's what we do. We choose, day by day, to do our acts of righteousness in secret. We choose to give even when nobody's watching, maybe especially when nobody's watching. We choose generosity without announcing it, without making much of it. We choose to do good even when it's not going to build us our own reputation. And maybe to all of this you say, well, then what's... What's the point, really, you know, on like a human level? Like, what, what's, what's the point, really, of being generous and giving all of this? If I'm never even going to be, I'm not going to receive a plaque or anything. You know, Christ Church Toronto is not even going to give me a plaque of my name, my family name, right? Um, what's the point of giving when, um, when nobody's noticing, when it doesn't contribute to my own well-being? And that is precisely the misunderstanding and the lie that is embedded in that question. Because, of course... There's one who does know this, who does see your father who sees in secret. And, G and, and Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Right? It's this promise that there is one who sees. That as we give out of love for God, out of his uh, desire for his praise, his name's praise, 
that there is one who sees, there is one who knows, and there is one who rewards. He promises us a reward for those who give in this manner. But now, what do we make of Jesus' statement? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. It seems the idea here is that we are to become the kinds of people whose own bodily members are not even fully aware of what we're doing. Right? Uh, our own bodily members, we, we don't even fully know, appreciate what's happening. It's not just about not announcing it to others, but about doing good works that we ourselves hardly even see and hardly even notice. We become the kinds of people who don't even recognize that we're doing good works, even as we're doing them. It's kind of like um, if you've ever had somebody come to you and do something really meaningful for you, something that you really appreciate, and you say, thank you. And they say, genuinely, it was nothing. It was nothing. Um, this sense of, it, it wasn't anything great that I've done. Right? Uh, this is the kind of people that we are to become. It's this kind of self-forgetful, secret giving that turns out to be one of the characteristics of those who follow Christ. Uh, consider this passage from Matthew chapter 25 about the final day of judgment. Then the king will say to those on his right, Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And how do Jesus' people respond? Do they say, that's right, I did that. I did help you. I did serve you, Jesus. I'm glad you recognize it. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What's interesting in this passage is that they don't even know that they've served Christ himself in serving others in the way that they did. As far as they're concerned, they're doing their duty. Loving the poor and the widow, extending God's kindness to the stranger, feeding the hungry. When did we serve you, Lord? And his response, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Now, how do we become this kind of people? This kind of self-forgetful people? This kind of people overflowing with righteous deeds? Overflowing with generosity? The generosity of God? Well, we can begin by acknowledging that we're not. That we aren't this kind of people at least not through and through, at least not day after day. We're simply not the kinds of people who always live for God's praise and never do things in order to be seen by others. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to discount the fact that there are many in this church, and I'm sure many of you who give in ways that I don't even know about, many of you who, who have been extremely generous with what the Lord has given to you. Right? People, I'm sure, here who have given consistently for years without recognition. And to you, I say, both praise God and the Lord sees. He sees what's done in secret. And I hope that's a great encouragement to you, that he sees, that when nobody else knows, the Lord sees what's done in secret. And at the same time, I would guess 
that some of these same people, some of you who have been most generous with your time, with your resources over the years, would also be the first to say it was nothing. It was nothing. And my heart was divided. I do want the praise that comes from people. And my heart's divided. I can be fickle. I still find myself wanting the recognition that comes from people more than the reward from God. And let's be honest. We're not a perfect people. And too often we love the praise that comes from man more than the praise that comes from God. And this certainly has been a struggle for me, personally. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up observing what it was to be a good church member and kind of intuiting what it meant to be um, accepted by church people. Right? A certain kind of deference and humility and uh, kindness and service, right? Um, always being involved in service. Certainly you got to learn an instrument, so I learned guitar. Um, uh, being involved in youth, children's ministry, youth ministry, etc. Right? You, you, you learn the things that all look very good, um, and they are good. They're wonderful things, wonderful things. Um, but the truth is, my heart has always been divided. It's always been divided. It's never just been about the Lord. It's never just been out of love for God. Hopefully part of it, that's been a, certainly a motivation. Um, but it's also mixed up with this desire to be seen by others. To be approved, to be accepted, to be loved. The Christian life of righteous deeds can easily become just another way for us to be seen by others, to get praise and acceptance from others. All our good works, not just about serving God, but about serving ourselves. It can turn into this, and this is certainly what it becomes for the Pharisees and what Jesus accuses them of. How about for you? Well, uh, if at this point you feel like a failure, like you've got some work to do, like your motives will never be perfectly pure, like perhaps you'll never get it right, well, as you can expect, there is good news for you this morning. There's a good word for you in Christ. And the good news is, that, is not that if you try harder, you can purify your motives. That's not the good news. <laughs> That's not it. That's not the way that you should go from a sermon like this. No, the good news is that Jesus Christ has lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, that we could never live. He's fulfilled the law for us. And by the power of his spirit, he transforms us to be like him. It's him who does the work. He transforms us. He makes us new. He makes us what he calls us to be. He's the one who gives and gives and gives and gives in secret. Not for the praise of others, but for the praise that comes from God. He's the one. Unlike us, who gives, who, uh, unlike us who give to be seen by others, Jesus is the one who gave only ever and always to please the Father, even when this meant ridicule by others, right? the opposite of praise. He's the one who preferred time and again to be misunderstood, to be hated by people, if it meant doing the will of his heavenly father. The one who consistently upset authorities, the elites, the kinds of people that we would want on our side, consistently upset them, didn't do it for their favor, and in the end had thousands shouting, crucify him. Talk about somebody who didn't live for the praise of men, but for the praise that comes from God, God's reward, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And while, he, while we persist 
and doing good, not to please God, but to get others' approval, etc. The good news is that Jesus has determined to only please God by laying down his life for us, that we might have life, and that we might be made new, that we might be renewed into the kinds of people who become like our Savior, who give in secret, not for the reward that comes from people, but for the reward that comes from God. This changes everything. If God has so loved you, has so given to you, has, has offered his great generosity, his great wealth to you, well, what do we have left to do but to repent? For the kingdom of God is at hand and to believe the good news. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we confess before you our weaknesses. You know us. You know us well. You know us better than we know ourselves. And still you pursue us in love. Father, you know our greed. You know our self-centeredness. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us. We repent of these things. And we ask that you would make us new, that you would sanctify us and make us more like Christ with the ability to give without even thinking of ourselves, not knowing our left hand, uh, not uh, allowing our left hand to know what our right hand is doing, that we would become this kind of people who give generously to one another, who give generously to your works. Father, make us this kind of people. Empower us by your gospel of Christ who's given everything for us that we might have life. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.